Galatians 4.19, if you're there, say amen. Reading one verse here. It says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. Someone say birth again. I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I want to talk to you just for the next few moments about the birth again experience. The birth again experience. Perhaps you've heard Ben asked this question or even asked the question, have you been born again? Anyone have someone ask you that before? Have you ever talked to someone about being born again? Has anyone never heard the term born again? All right. Is anyone going to participate? <laughs> have you been born again? Or maybe you heard this statement. I am a born again believer. It is a powerful phrase. It is a profound statement. It is from the word of the Lord. It's in your Bible. And many will refer to their born again experience and they'll reference John three sixteen, which is a very important scripture that we must commit to memory. We must know it. Because it is a precious, exceeding promise that God has for us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nobody has to perish. Nobody has to go to hell. I'm so thankful that there is a God that loves us so much to make sure there is not a single person that has to perish as much as we may not want to admit it or confess. We deserve to perish. But God says you don't have to perish. You can have everlasting life. You know, if somebody made this proposition to you, would you like to work a job where there is more work, less pay, or would you like less work, more pay? Which job would you like to take? More work, less pay, or less work, more pay? So you're like, well, less work still sounds like too much work. I'm on no work, all pay. <laughs> I, there, there's, it's, it's pretty simple to look at it. Do I want to perish or do I want to have everlasting life? Jesus is the one that spoke this phrase. And Jesus is the first one to ever utter this statement and phrase, born again. Just like he was the one that initiated the church. He was the first one to speak it in the scripture. And I want what Jesus said about being born again. I want what Jesus said about being the church. In John three sixteen, what is going on here is he's having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a religious man, and he is one that believes and fears God, and he's looking for the kingdom, and he talks to Jesus in the covert of the night. And Jesus, before he ever tells him about John three sixteen, he says this to him in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again. Someone say born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Forget about entering it. You can't even see it. Unless you are born again. 
Nicodemus, of course, he was perplexed. He says, how can I be born again? I'm already an adult. I'm already a grown man. And do I go back in my mom's womb and be born? And Jesus explains this to him. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is so gracious and kind to expand the definition of being born again. He says it is to be born of water. It is to be born of spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And don't marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. It's very important for us to see that statement there in verse 8 as he talks about the wind. He says, you hear the sound. That word sound, if you look into the language, it's where we get phonics. It's where we get language itself. He says, you hear the language, you hear the sound of the wind, but you don't know where it's coming from. You don't understand where it's going. And he makes this statement for us to understand in verse 8. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit, it is just like the wind. You cannot see the Spirit. You cannot see the wind. But you can feel the wind. And you can see the effects of the wind. And you can hear the sound of the wind against the object it is in contact with. Jesus says, so it is. Of everyone, not someone, not one gender, but everyone that is born of the spirit, you will hear the sound thereof. Jesus says this in the book of John, chapter three, in the beginning of his ministry. But then he goes on to say this in the end of his ministry in Mark, chapter 16. In Mark, chapter 16, after Jesus has died, buried and rose again, he's about to ascend up into heaven. And as he's about to ascend into heaven, he gives some final instructions to the apostles. And he says, go into all the world, God forbid, even South Dakota, and preach the gospel to every creature, even the Germans, the Norwegians, the Scandinavians, all of them. And he says this in verse 16. He that believeth, someone say believes, and is baptized shall be saved. Here we see two elements. You'll see a third element here in verse 17. He says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Someone say believe. They shall speak with new tongues. Not only cast out devils, but speak with new tongues. He mentions three important things here. There's all of it's important, but three things I want us to, to capture or see here is that when we read John three 16, Jesus talked about believing And when we read John chapter three, verse three and five, we read about the definition of being born again of water and spirit. It is not a coincidence. It is not an accident. It is not random happenstance that we see those three same things here. Again, we see belief. We see water and we see spirit. Jesus says, if we want to see the kingdom of God, if we want to enter the kingdom of God, We must be born of water and spirit. We must believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We must believe this. And Jesus summarizes it in verse 15 or before he summarizes, he launches 
what the definition of the gospel is. He says, you've got to preach this gospel of being born again. You've got to preach this good news that you might have been born into sin and shaped into iniquity. You might have been born into a fallen world, but you can be born again of water. You can be born again of spirit. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. If you believe that, would you clap your hands? Jesus ascends into heaven and then Acts chapter two. This is where the church starts. If you are going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a part of the church, it would be wise to look at the roots, the origin, the original. Where did this come from? What is it? And that is what the book of Acts is. It is the actions. It is the history of the church. And in Acts chapter two, there is 120 people in a room praying. And as they're praying, it's the day of Pentecost and they're in one accord, one place. And look at verse two. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. I felt like we just read something about wind a moment ago. Does anyone recall that? Anyone remember a man named Jesus that was talking to a religious person about the kingdom of God? And it was about the wind and the birth of souls into the kingdom of God. And here it says there was a rushing mighty wind and it filled the place where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues. I feel like we just read about tongues a moment ago. Did anyone remember at the end of Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 16, something about believers and new tongues are going to be spoken. It says that here's these cloven tongues like as a fire upon each of the people in the room. And in verse four, it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. Once more, we see what Jesus already said. He said that there is going to be a kingdom that's going to come and to see the kingdom, to enter the kingdom. We must believe we must be born of water. We must be born of spirit. And we see the birth of the church as Jesus prophesied was going to happen. Just like the wind, you don't understand the way in which it comes and you don't understand the way in which it moves and where it goes. But so is everyone that is born of the spirit. You will hear the sound of it. And that wind came into that room and these people began to speak a new language that was only able by the spirit that gave them the ability the Bible goes on to say that people were confused and people begin to mock it. People begin to insult it. If you're here today and you see some things that are strange to you that you may not comprehend, I'm not offended by you. I'm not hurt by you. I understand completely where you're coming from. It is quite awkward to see people jump up and down into a so-called invisible God and to get emotional, to get sweaty, even in a suit, and to, to begin to worship God with exuberance and demonstration. It, it's an awkward thing, especially if you have never seen it. And the birth of the church was born in an environment where people made fun of people worshiping and speaking in tongues. If you're here and you feel such shame upon you and embarrassment about being a spirit-filled believer that lifts their hands and speaks in tongues and cries, you are in good company. Your forefathers, these ancient elders, way back when at the birth of the church, the apostles, Mary, the mother of Jesus, they were persecuted and mocked for the exact same thing we are experiencing 2,000 years Later, 
the Bible goes on to say that Peter had to explain. And this is very important, what we do as believers, that we don't just show out worship and praise to try to prove a point to anybody. We do it because we love God. But we ought to love people enough to teach them why we do what we do. Not just do what we do and expect people to understand. But we must do what we do to God because we love him. But then take time to talk to somebody about why we do this. Because this is what God has done for us. I love him because he loved me. We go on reading here as Peter's explaining. And here's what he says to him. Because he loves him, he tells him truth. He doesn't hide it. He says, look, this Jesus that you crucified, you killed him. He is Lord and Christ, not just man, but he is deity. That word Lord, curious, he is the supreme one, the supreme being and authority. He is God and he is Christ, meaning he is the anointed one, the one that was chosen to save you from your sins. This vehicle, this vessel, this God man in flesh is the one that you rejected. And so when he gave them that harsh reality and truth, the Bible says in verse 37, they heard it. And they felt pricked in their heart. They felt guilt. They felt conviction. And just like sometimes you could be in a setting of a church and you don't know what to do. You feel emotional. You feel like crying. You feel uncomfortable. God is trying to work on your heart. And the right thing, the response is not to say, this is just stupid and walk away. But to say, what is this? What meaneth this? And not just what meaneth this, but when you get the answer, tell me what to do now that I see what I have done wrong and what I need to work on. And look at this in verse 38. This is so important. If you've been in this church at any duration of time, you ought to know this scripture. And if you do not, I challenge you to make this your memory verse that Peter said in them. This is Peter, the first preacher, the first church. When you read Matthew 16, 18, Jesus turned to Peter and says, Peter, your name is Cephas. You are a rock. You are a stone. And upon this rock, I will build the church. I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. And Peter is the vehicle in which brings the gospel to the Jews and brings the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Bible says he gives the answer. And Peter is the one that was close to Jesus with John and James. And the Bible says that Peter, after sitting under Jesus' ministry for three and a half years, he quotes to them the most beautiful summarization of what Jesus told us in John 3, 16, John 3, 3, and John 3, 5. The answer was this. Repent. Someone say repent. That means to say, God, I am sorry for my sins I confess them, and not only do I admit my sins, but I walk away from those sins I was committing. And then the next statement, he says, is to be baptized. That is born of water in the name. He says, baptize every one of you, not some of you, not every one other person that is tall, short, fat, skinny, whatever. He says, every one of you are to repent, and every one of you are to be baptized And then he says, how? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, why? For the remission of sins. And then this third element, he says, is the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost. He says what Jesus said about belief 
and repentance. You could write it down from the book of Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There is the belief in repentance. There is the water baptism. And there is the spirit baptism. And in verse 39, he says, this promise of all of these is for you, for your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Just a couple more verses, and we're going to get to the crux of the matter here. This continues throughout the pattern of the New Testament. You can read and study in Acts chapter 8. You can read it in Acts chapter 9. You can read the same pattern in Acts chapter 10. You can read the same pattern in Acts chapter 11. You can read the same pattern in Acts chapter 19. It does not stop. It continues to bring this born-again message that we believe And even the Apostle Paul, who had more revelation, arguably, than any other apostle, he didn't waver from this teaching. In verse 1, Paul is traveling through the regions, and he goes to Ephesus. And look what happens in verse 1. He finds several believers. And the question he asks them is, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? The King James says it like this. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He says, I know you believe it. But have you experienced this thing called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, this baptism of God's spirit? I know you are a believer, but do you have the Holy Spirit? And these people were honest enough to say, no, we don't even know or aren't exactly sure what you are talking about concerning the Holy Spirit. So he asked them about their religious background and they find out they're Baptist. You know, they're the baptism of John. And he goes, well, this is what they teach in John's baptism. But there's more than just repentance from sin. There is this man called Jesus Christ. He doesn't just want you to repent of your sins. He wants you to be born again. He wants to wash those sins. And he wants to fill you with his spirit. And look what happens as this Bible study continues in verse 5. These intellectually honest believers. They say they're honest with themselves and they're honest with the word and honest with the preacher. So they get rebaptized because we know they were baptized before. They said they were baptized according to John's baptism. But they saw the need. They saw the essentiality. They saw the significance. And they were rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul lays his hands upon them and they receive the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak with other tongues. This pattern goes on and on and on. I'm going to fast forward to Luke chapter 11 for sake of time and sake of my voice. It's disappearing. Jesus speaks in Luke 11, 9. And he says, ask, it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Everyone that asks, receives, and everyone seeks, finds, and everyone knocks, it's open. And if you have a child, a son, and he asks a father, will You give him a stone if he asks for a fish. Will you give him a fish for a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? The answer is obvious. And Jesus says this in verse 13. If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I'd like us to lift our hands for a moment. I want us to pray. God's going to do something here in just a moment. I believe it. And if we can lift our voices and begin to say, God, we need your spirit in this place. God, we need to do what only you can do and what we cannot do, Jesus. For this is not by our might, 
This is not by our power. This is by your spirit. You are God. You reign. You rule. You are in control. You are the almighty one, Jesus. If you are here and you do not have this thing that we speak of called the Holy Ghost, if you have not been born again of water and spirit, it is for every single person in this room. It is a promise. And if you don't know how to receive the Holy Ghost, there's just some very simple things to be born again. We got to repent, like Jesus said, like the apostle said. We, this is why we are expressive, demonstrative, and vocal in this church. We want people to have the opportunity to experience what the Bible explains. Not just to hear about something and just wander from Monday through Saturday not knowing what to do next. But to actually put into practice what was just preached in the very moment. Because you know and I know that we tend to, uh, to want to do things, intend to do things. But as time passes from the moment, we end up not doing those things. But in church, we don't want those things to slip. We don't want, because the Bible says the, 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 the devil is like a fowl, a bird of the air. And the seed goes forth. And our heart is the ground. The seed is the word. And it's landing. The seed is going forth right now. But the moment you walk out of this building, it is the intention of the bird. It is the intention of the fowl of the air, the prince of the power of the air, to swoop down and to snatch up that seed. And you go another week without practicing or putting into play what was preached. God doesn't want you to be in the presence of preaching and not have the opportunity to present yourself to that message and say, God, I heard what was said. And Lord, I want to try to see if your word is true. God says, prove me now. See if I won't do it. That's not just about tithing and offering. It's about any promise that God would proclaim in his word. When God makes a promise, he has provision for that promise. If we are willing to say, God, I heard what you said. Now just show yourself alive by many infallible proofs. And so what happens in church is we give people the opportunity to come to this front area called the altar. We designate this place, not that it's geographically all that different than where you are at, but God honors when we make an outward declaration of what's going on inside of us and we take a step out of where we are and we say, God, I'm just going to approach you. God, I know this is not my custom. This is not my culture. This is not what I'm used to. But Jesus, I just really want to see if you're real. I really want to see if this Bible is really true. I want to see if this Christianity, if there's actually something to it. I want to see if there's something different to this Christianity than other types of Christianity I've been into. God, that's what the preacher said. That's what the Bible said. So Lord, I want to know this born again experience. Let me have it. And you come to God and you simply give him what you have. And what you have is ugly. What you have is a mess. What you have is destroyed. What you have has been abused. What you have has been defiled. What you have is in debt. What you have is distress. What you have is depression. And so there is the intimidation to bring those kinds of goods or lack thereof to one that is so good and pure. But God says, no, bring me the sick, bring me the hurting, bring me the poor, bring me the lame, bring me the blind, bring me the addicted, bring me the distraught, bring me all your situations. And God says, I will give you beauty for ashes. I'll give you an oil of joy. I'll give you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. If there is a coat of depression upon you. You have been getting... 
See, what happens is, you know, if you're kind of like me and you're in the average family or the, the, the poverty family, you basically get hand-me-downs. That's how it worked in our home. We always got our brother's clothes. Well, we never got our sister's clothes. Thank God for that. And so... <laughs> I was the middle child. I wish I could have been the oldest brother. That means I always get it because it fits me. But my brother, when he grew out of something and I really was almost kind of growing into something, my parents would take my clothes and give them to my little brother because he needed to grow into them. So I'd get the baggy clothes all over again. And the problem is my brother was always three inches taller than me still to this day. And so you don't like the hand-me-down clothes. And you might have been born into a home of dysfunction. You might have been born into a home that is completely abusive, completely fearful, completely addicted. Or you may have been born into a home that is just cold and just kind of goes through the motion. You've been given a hand-me-down. But God says, you give me whatever garment you have, and I can give you you a garment of praise. I can change it. I can change what you're wearing right now. I can give you a trade-in and I'll give you much more than what you got. And so when you come to this altar, you simply take what you got and say, God, this is all I got, but I want you to know I give you everything. I give you, Lord, my sin. I give you my imperfections. I give you my faults. I give you my failures. And God will give you a new coat. God will give you a new life. God will give you a new birth. And so God, after he forgives you of your sins, he wants to wash away those sins and bury them in water baptism in the name of Jesus. And not just that, but God wants to fill you. Now that you have died to sin, God wants to fill you with life of his spirit called the Holy Ghost. I ask you, have you been born again? You can be born again. If you don't like the life you've been born into, if you don't like how you were born, you may say, well, I can't change. I was born this way. That's all right. You can be born again. And it is, my friend, the greatest experience you can have in your world. But hear me and hear the word. And this is the point I want to get. And so here's what happens. He says, he, uh, the word of the Lord in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. The danger, here's the danger of being born again. Because I'm looking here, there's a number of people, you still need that born again experience. And it's a promise for you. Every single one of us in this room, God, it says it's a promise for you, for your child, and their children too. And to all after that as well. Every single person in this room has the promise of being born again. Everyone. But here's the next segment of what I want to address for the rest of this. And I'm going to wrap it up. The danger of being born again. And there's a host of us here that have been. Is that you're never birthed again. And I ask you this. Not have you been born again. But have you been birthed again. We read the context of our opening scripture in Galatians chapter 4. And I want to read through the New Living Translation to save me some time from explaining some things. But think of it this way, Paul says, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. That's, that's an amazing verse to think about. A child born... And the father is the one that rules the land. But that child ain't all that much different than the slave in terms of property, of what he has or what he owns. There's something God has for you, but it isn't for young children. 
You have to, you, the child has it all. It's going to be, it is his inheritance, but that child has to grow into that inheritance. It has to be grown. And if you haven't grown at all, you can't have it all because growth precedes inheritance. Hear me again. Growth precedes inheritance. It's very important that we grasp that concept. He goes on to explain here. They have to obey their guardians. Talking about the child that is born. He says, until they reach whatever age their father set. That's the way it is with Christ before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son. That's that spirit we were talking about earlier, that spirit birth into our hearts. And it prompts us to call Abba Father. That this is more than just saying God. This God is personal. And this God is your Father. He loves you. And you are His child. So you're no longer a slave in verse 7. But you are God's own child. And since you are His child, God made you His heir. It's an amazing revelation and promise that you are not just a child in this kingdom, but you are a child of the king and you are all treated as firstborn, meaning all of you have an inheritance. You are heirs to what you've been born into. We were born into this world, our father, the devil, but we've been born again with a new heavenly father. And now you have an inheritance but as children you don't just hand all your inheritance to a newborn baby the baby grows to give him that inheritance the benefits of being born again is we're no longer slave but we're his child but we go on reading verse 8 it says this that before you gentiles knew god you were slaves to so-called gods that didn't exist But now that you know God, now that you know him, Paul, he takes a turn here. He says, you know, God, you've been born again. Why would you go back? You know, God, you know, he's your father. You know, he loves you. Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak useless spiritual principles of this world. He goes on saying, as he's talking about the law with these people, he says, observing days, months, season, years, he says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers, sisters, I plead with you. Live as I do in freedom from these things hear the preacher freedom is not in these things freedom is from those things 
See, the enemy wants you to think there's freedom in things, but there's not freedom in things in this world. The freedom is that you've been born into the spiritual world of God's kingdom and you have an inheritance. I know this world wants its payout now, but God says, look, I have a better thing for you. I have an inheritance for you. And if you would just grow up in this process of maturity, there is an inheritance for you that is incorruptible. There is an inheritance for you that cannot be defiled. Would you lift your hands for a moment? I'm just about done. I'm trying to hurry. God, speak to us today. God, talk to us today. Verse 13 says, surely you remember. Surely you remember in my sicknesses, in my weaknesses, I brought you the gospel, the good news. And I know my condition causes people to reject. I understand that. But verse 15, you were joyful. You were grateful. I'm sure you would have done everything possible to help me. And verse 16 says, but now am I becoming your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. And verse 17, pay very close attention. These, these last closing verses, I, I, I ask that you try to lean in and listen a little bit, please. Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. There are influencers that are constantly trying to influence the born again. There are influencers that are constantly trying to get you to favor them and what they're saying. But you got to know their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so you will pay attention to only them. And if someone is so eager to do good things for you, all right. But why aren't they doing it all the time, not just... When my influence is around you. Meaning basically he says this Christian influence. They, they seem to make such effort and strides for you. Only when this born again influence is around you. When you carry that born again influence. Then, then they come and they, they do all these favors for you. But man if you could just play back time a little bit. They didn't treat you like that before. But not until you were born again. Did they all of a sudden put all this favoritism on you. To try to pull you away from the born-again experience. Verse 19, oh, my dear children, I feel like I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until. If you ever wonder why ministry always looks like they're in pain, he just says they're always going to be in travail until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now. So I could change my tone. But at this distance. I don't know how else to help you. Wow. Paul said. I wish I were with you right now. But it just seems like. We're not with each other anymore. In fact. Paul says. I don't know what else to do. Paul said that. A man with more revelation, wisdom and understanding, insight than anyone else. He says, I don't know what else to do. 
I don't know how else to help you. The struggle is this, if you look at verse 20, is this distance. Drifting away creates distance. Paul is talking to the believers, the saints, the church. Born again? Yes. Birthed again? No. Here's the issue. The people were born again, but stopped the development process. They started going backward instead of forward. And when you stop going forward, you are going backward. They think, of, think of the natural. You, you can be born into this world and grow physically, but not responsibly. It's just like, you know, the infamous, well, I'm 18. I'm an adult now. Are they, are, are they physically grown? Yeah. But are they responsibly grown? No. The likelihood is probably not. We can halt the process, and so it is with Christians. Well, I'm born again. I, I've been baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I, 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 could, I could do this. I got this. No. No. I got to keep growing. I got to keep moving. I got to keep maturing. Verse 19, Paul says in the King James, My little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. New birth occurred, but they never matured. They had the birth certificate, but they don't have the diploma. I thank God that you got a birth certificate. But I want to be there for graduation day with you. I want to be there on graduation day with you. I want to see you get your diploma. That's what matters to me as a pastor. It's not that we just count. Oh, we had someone else filled with the Holy Ghost. There's another one filled with the Holy Ghost. There's another one baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, we had more baptized this year than last year. Oh, we had more people speaking in tongues this year than last year. No, I'm thankful for that. Yes, I want people to see. I want people to be born again. But while you're born again, make sure there's a birth that takes place again in your life. I'm thankful, God, that I've been born, Lord of the Spirit. But God, I want to grow in this newness of life. And it comes through a travail. It comes through a process. And process is never comfortable. Process is never easy. But it's all part of this process. Can we lift our hands? I'm just about done. Jesus. Jesus. The goal is for Christ to be formed in you. As you look at that verse in verse 19, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He's talking to people that have been born again. And he says, I'm travailing that something would birth again in you. And it happens to everybody. There's no exception to the rule. It starts with a zeal and a fire. But you look at the churches that you read in the book of Revelation. God calls them back to their first love. They all slip somewhere. And he says, come on. Don't be lukewarm. You've come so far. Why would you go back now? You've, you've made such progress. Why would you look back? Remember Lot's wife? God miraculously brought you so far. Don't look back, though your heart can be in Sodom. Get your heart 
on the things that are ahead of you, to set your eyes and your affections on things above till Christ be formed in you. That word formed is to morph. This I know. Adversity is an opportunity for maturity. We tend to escape adversity for security. When in that circumstance, God was trying to form something. It happens to everyone. What, there, there's, there's always going to be someone. There's always going to be a voice. It could be friends. It could be family that are trying to get you to go back to where you came from. Now, let me just say a couple things like this. It's not, being a Christian is not forsaking, in this sense, family and culture, heritage, you know. You can embrace your, your, your heritage, your family. You don't have to say, you know, I shun everybody. But the, the I'm trying to be decisive how I say this, the, the temptation or the intimidation is like, I am abandoning everything I knew, which there, there's an element to that. But there is such an immense pressure on you because of that. But that is still your family. It's still your heritage. It's still your culture. I remember like when my, my mom, when she got in the church, uh, she's Mexican. And if you know anything about the Hispanic culture, Latin American culture, it's, it's heavily Catholic. And I'm not here slamming, damning, condemning it or anything like that. But the, the point is this, is that the Catholic religion is very different. It's very different. And uh, um, that's a whole other thing. But the, the point is when, when my mom... Though she was in drugs and alcohol, though she went to prison, though she was in a gang, nobody had any issue with her. But the moment that she stopped being Catholic and was born again and became Pentecostal, became a Christian, all of a sudden, all these voices came at her. All these voices attacked her. And that's a very real thing. It's a very serious thing. It's not to be just like brushed off like no big deal. It's a major deal. But that's not me having to forsake that I'm, I'm a Mexican. That's not me having to forsake my family I don't love or care them or I can't be around them or talk. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. All it is is, look, I know I've been born this way, but now I've been born again. And this is who I am. And I still can be Mexican. I can still love my family. I can still be involved with my family. I can still uh, embrace them and care about them and love them and cherish them. But you can't, you can't buy into the lie that if you become a Christian, that means you absolutely absolutely hate and cut off everything uh, that you've ever known and you don't love them and you don't care about them and you forsake them it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. God not only wants you to be born again, but he wants you to be birthed again because your past will always try to pull you back to where you were. But you got to say, look, I've been born again and I'm in this process and I'm still moving forward. I've got to be having this birthing process inside of me. I'm thankful for how far I've come, but I want to keep going forward. I want to keep growing. I don't want to keep looking back over my shoulder. I don't want to keep looking back. I want to grow. I want to grow because there is an inheritance that is incorruptible. There is an inheritance that is undefiled that God has for you. And right now we have our birth certificate and we are an heir and we have an inheritance and I want to grow. I want to keep moving forward. I'm going to crawl. I'm going to stumble, but one day I'm going to stand before
before a throne. And that inheritance that I have, I'm going to cast it down before that crown, my crown before the throne of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Let's stand together as we clap our hands to the Lord. And you might think you're doing pretty good too. I'm right here saying you're not. But if there's not a travail in your life, you may not be birthed again. You might have been raised in this and you're born again and I'm I'm so excited. But adversity is an opportunity for your maturity. And we tend to escape adversity for security. When in that circumstance, God was trying to form something. He'll send your physical world, your natural world into chaos as to form something in your spirit world. But if we don't go through the travail to be birthed again, we miss Christ being formed in us. Whatever your situation is. You, you ever contemplate this? And there, there's, there's, a, there's a, a high number of people in this room that I've had conversation with and insights, just kind of some things going on in your life. And there's just this common denominator of, of an element of adversity. And here's what you do in adversity as a human. You try to solve it. You try to fix it. But maybe God wants you to be birthed again. Maybe he's wanting something to travail in you. So something that's not formed in you can be. And if we can fix the problem and make it happen the way we like it to happen, then Christ can't be formed in us. And this is where a good number of people in this room are at. That maybe all the other things did not apply to you and you're like, well, I've been born again and, you know, then my past isn't coming for me. Your present is on your case right now. And if you would allow the process of adversity to cause you to travail, you can be birthed again. And when you're birthed again, you come out differently. And how birth again plays out is differently for different for everybody. But I've seen it play out a few ways. And I think I meant, mentioned this a few weeks ago. That people that have a career path, a degree, and all of a sudden adversity gets in there. But in that adversity, they didn't get a chance to flee from it. They travailed in it. And they were birthed again. And that, what they were, has nothing to do with their life anymore. I can, I can introduce you to tons of people. They have no, their, their life now has nothing to do with what they went to school for. Because they travailed and they were birthed again. And now, though they may get less pay, they may have less benefits, they might have less convenience, they might have less time, less comfort, they actually have more peace than they've ever had, though they, though they have less than they've ever had for some time. Does that make sense to somebody here today? 
God doesn't want you, he doesn't want you to settle to be born again. He wants you to be birthed again. And when you're birthed again, man, that's when God can do something. Think of the Apostle Paul. He's born again. But you want to talk about some birthing pangs. You want to talk about travail. His entire existence ceased to even be relevant anymore. Because he was birthed again. Where he had all the pedigree to reach the Hebrews. But that pedigree did diddly squat to reach them. And so he... He went through the, he went, read Galatians. That's what we've been reading, right? He went to the desert, the Arabian desert for three and a half years. And all of a sudden in the desert, he was birthed again. And he was sent to the Gentiles. And he did more to spread the gospel because he did not escape the process of being birthed again. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. Don't be so quick to work it out. Don't be so quick to figure it out. Stay in the adversity. Travail. And you will be birthed again until you be formed in Christ. Until Christ be formed in you. I... I, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you want Christ to be formed in you, and you might have been born again, but you feel that God's wanting you to have that birth against experience, I want you to come forward. This may not be for everyone. That's fine. I'm all right. But if you feel that God wants something to be formed in you, And there's just almost like I, I haven't I've only been in one birthing room. I don't I don't know how it all works for everybody. But I would assume this about everybody. I could be wrong. If you're a lady, or I say everybody, a lady, my guess is you probably don't like the contractions, you don't like the pain. And it's a very common practice and I'm not saying you're less of a person because you you did this, went this route, but what do they call it, the epidural or whatever? You're not less of a person for going through that. Or choose it. I, I, I'd do it. <laughs> but we want to escape that. But that's what God uses to bring forth what he's trying to form in you. And so your adversity that you're in, God's trying to contract. God's trying to birth something. Don't try to figure out how to get an epidural. Don't try to figure out how to get comfort. Don't try to figure out how to make it work. Just say, you know what, God? I'm going to stay here. And until you form in me what needs to be formed in me, I'm not ready to move on from this. That's the importance. I'm not saying like, Life's got to be miserable, travail the entire time. There's seasons of adversity. But don't rush out of it. Stay and say, God, what is it that are you trying to form inside of me? And that is the most beautiful moment 
where God can birth something again in your world. Would you lift your hands? If you need to be born again, I, I, I ask you to lift your hands as well. If you need to be birthed again, I ask you to lift your hands. I don't know what...